This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. So, um, but, you know, today's a special day. I wanted to say um, happy Mother's Day to everybody out there, the, all the superheroes I want to honor even those that maybe aren't with us today and are spending today watching over us in heaven. Some of us wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for them. So I wanted to honor all of our moms. We love and we appreciate you. You know, I I thought about the power of a mom earlier and I was on FaceTime with my mom yesterday. I, I, I um, typically call them and let them see the kids and, and they always enjoy that. My, my, you know, my uh, kids do. And, and about the time I had called them, Israel was outside waving a broomstick and, and uh, he was doing some type of karate move or, you know, whatnot. And, and Eliza happened to walk by and he accidentally didn't do it on purpose, accidentally clipped her right on the side of the head. And she began to cry. Well, I was on the phone with my mom. So Eliza needed to be consoled. She needed, she needed to be comforted in some way. So my mom, who's on the phone, however many hundreds of miles away, said, do you want me to kiss it? Now, mind you, she's on FaceTime. Eliza's crying. And Eliza said, yes. So she gets up close to the phone and mom makes a kissy noise from the other side of the phone. And then all of a sudden the crying stops. So yes, there is proof out there that a mother's kiss works even over the phone. So I just wanted to throw that out there that moms are amazing. Um, but I wanted to share something with you, something that's on my heart, something, you know, that honors moms out there. And as I thought about kind of what to say, um, I thought about something my mom would always tell me, and, and I wanted to share and hopefully bring some encouragement to you today. I think it relates very well to what we face. You know, when, whenever that I would do something dumb or whenever I would mess up, which was probably quite often, right, um, I had the personality that I would allow that to just dwell in me it would consume my thoughts it would it would consume my entire day i couldn't just let it go and it would build up inside and it would bother me to the point of even loss of self-worth where i i hated myself over decisions that i made and some pain that i might have even caused my mom and my dad you know and over choices that i had made and i remember many conversations that my mother and i had and she would always tell me things like just pick yourself back up and just go at it again she'd tell me things like don't give up use this to motivate you use this to bring about change don't wallow in your pain get up and try again she would say things like and I bet every mom out there has said something like this don't feel sorry for yourself and I would dwell on my pain so much that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day would just be miserable. I would beat myself up over and over again over the choices and decisions that I'd made. And when I had thought about all these conversations that my mother and I'd had, all the encouraging talks that she gave me, I thought about this verse in Matthew chapter 6. And this verse is going to kind of be the theme of our entire message today. And I think, I hope, and I pray that it's encouragement for somebody. But Matthew chapter 6 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, I think the reason why we worry is because we can't control tomorrow. The one thing we all have in common is that we cannot control what happens tomorrow. So consequently, we're usually fine right now. But it's the next series of nows and thens that we begin to worry about. And Jesus comes along right here in Matthew chapter 6 and has the audacity to say something that would be hard for me to just tell somebody. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You just worry about today. In other words, you do what you can do today and then you trust God to be with you tomorrow. And I can guarantee you every mom sometime, somewhere has said that. So he just comes out and says, stop worrying. And you know when we hear that? Or when we hear somebody tell us that, what we really hear them saying is, don't care, don't be concerned, don't be responsible, just kind of kick back, watch another episode of what's going on, and it'll all just kind of work out. And Jesus isn't saying that at all right here. He, he's not saying don't be responsible. He wasn't saying these things that, that, you, that you worry about are not important. What He, he wasn't saying that, that you shouldn't concern yourself with them. In fact, He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying the things that you focus on are so important Important that God is focused on them as well. That's why he comes out and says you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's concerned about them too. And he's going to bat for you. Now the temptation for those of you out there like me who are the super hyper worriers, like they worry about everything and I'm, I'm kind of in that boat. Or for those of you who don't generally worry, but because of things going on in our world right now, maybe at work, at home, school, grades, maybe um, the culture that we live in, maybe you can't sell your house, or maybe you're worried about COVID-19. Or whatever it might be, you may find yourself becoming more and more of a worrier, and you're pushed back to this whole thought of, well, just don't worry. You know, you say because it's too simple, it's too easy, maybe it's a little bit too passive. I need to worry, okay? And here's what we tell ourselves. When I worry, I actually feel like I'm more responsible. I feel like, I feel like it's irresponsible not to worry because I want to explain it like this. When I worry, then I really worry. I, when I, when I worry about things, I focus my mind on things I can't do anything about. I get really distracted from the things I should, my mind should beyond and I'm at home but my kids and my wife my husband whoever it is your spouse knows that I'm not really there because I've got to be responsible and worry about the things I can't control then when I go to work I'm worried about what's at home and when I'm at home I'm worried about what's going on at work so pretty much my mind is consumed my thoughts and my brain are consumed by tomorrow even though I can't do anything about it so it's just better for me to worry because then I can worry and and you hear that and you go that makes no sense at all why am I worrying about something I can't control? And that's why Jesus looks at us and says, stop it. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. Don't worry. And we go, but I'm a responsible adult. Someone has to worry about these things. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't have to worry about it. You do what you can do today and then you trust your God in heaven for tomorrow. Not because you know what's going to happen tomorrow, but when have you ever known what's going to happen tomorrow? 
Not one single day of your life, nothing's really changed. You've just become more aware of a, of, of a reality that's been the reality since day one. That is, all you can do is be in the now. If I heard my mom say it once, I heard her say it a thousand times. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going to happen next. Just control what happens right now. And I say that to somebody today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you face. But you don't have to worry about your tomorrow. You do what you can do right now and God will take care of what's next. And I heard my mom say a million times too, don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about what they say. Just worry about what you can control, which is you. You can't do anything about it, so don't worry. So today, I wanted to go to a story, a story we all, that, that we all know from the Old Testament, it's an interesting story. It's found in the book of First Kings. And one we've even looked at before, but it carries significant weight to what we face today. First Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to give you some context. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but in First Kings, we find the story about a guy who had a lot to worry about. And towards the end of the story, God asked this guy a question that I think is an amazing question. In fact, if you're a worrier today, or you're just specifically worried about what's going on to, in today's world related to COVID-19 or anything because things are different than they've been before, you might want to take this question and write this question down, put it on your mirror, put it in your car, put it in a drawer, because this is a question that will recenter us as it relates to what we're allowing our mind to be on. It's a great story, but I want to kind of give you some context on what's going on. When the nation of Israel became a kingdom, their first king was King Saul. Many of you know about King Saul. After Saul came King David, and then after David, his son Solomon. And those were the first three kings, and after Solomon, the kingdom split. And it split to the northern kingdom and to the southern um, kingdom. And they called the northern kingdom the northern kingdom because it was in the north. And the southern kingdom, you know, was in the south, right? Okay. So, the northern kingdom, and this is helpful if you, if you know the word, is also referred to Israel. They kind of retain that same name. And the southern kingdom was Judah. So this particular story takes place about 860 B.C. The kingdom's already split, and the king of the northern kingdom is somebody you may have heard before. His name was King Ahab, and he led Israel way away, far away from the things of God and the law, and the law of God. So here's what happened, okay? God sent Elijah the prophet into Ahab's life, and Elijah the prophet said, Ahab, God is sick and tired of the way you're leading the people. And so God is going to get your attention. It's not going to rain anymore. And then Elijah left and Ahab's like, yeah, I don't think you can do that. Just turn the water on and off. Well, a month, two months, three goes by and it's not raining. And, and meanwhile, God says, Elijah, you need to hide because you're not going to be a very popular person right now because they think you did this. So go hide. And then you've got to read the rest of the story for yourself because Elijah runs away from Ahab and God takes care of Elijah. Now he's not living high off of all of, 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 of the world. He's, he's kind of just camping out. But God provides for him while the rest of the country is in turmoil because there's no rain, there's no crops, the cattle are dying, things are bad. Three years go by and God says to Elijah, okay, you need to go back to Ahab, you need to talk to him again. 
And Elijah's like, are you sure about that, God? He's kind of looking for me. It's not going to be good. And God says, go. So he goes and he finds Ahab because Ahab's been looking all over for him. Three years have gone by. The economy is a wreck. And Elijah says, okay, King Ahab, God is ready to teach the nation a lesson if you're ready to learn it. He says he's going to let it rain again. But there's a little caveat here. We're going to have to have a meeting. And Ahab agrees. Okay, what do you mean we got to have a meeting? What do I got to do to get the rain turned back on? Elijah said, I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel. Everybody knew where that was. And I want you to bring all the prophets of Baal. All these people that you think have a connection with God, lowercase g, that I don't think exist. And that's fine, but you just go ahead and bring them to Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a little prayer meeting. You and your prophets are going to pray to Baal. And I'm going to pray to my God. And you're going to see which one of these gods can make it rain. So the Bible tells the story. They met on top of Mount Carmel. It's a really neat one. You've heard me preach about it. They meet on this mountain. Over 400 prophets of Baal. And thousands of people from all the, uh, the uh, around where, where they lived. And they heard about this contest. So the prophets of Baal, they get there and and. and and Elijah says, you go build yourself an altar. And I'm going to go over here while you're doing that. And I'm going to repair this broken down altar. The broken down altar that used to be used to worship God. I'm going to rebuild it. And while I'm rebuilding that altar, you guys just go ahead and start doing your thing. Just to see if you can tell Baal to make it rain. And then I'll call on my God and we'll see whose God is really God. So the story goes on. They build the altar in the morning. The prophets of Baal begin asking Baal to make it rain. They're sacrificing animals. They're dancing around. They're calling out. They're shouting. They're doing everything they know to do from breakfast through lunch. Meanwhile, Elijah's building his altar. And then he makes some remarks and mocks their God. Again, lowercase g. Imagine doing that. While they're dancing around and they begin to slash themselves trying to get Baal's attention so it goes on into evening and Elijah says, okay, I've had enough. Now it's my turn. He said, but before I ask God to light my altar, I want you to drench it with water. Now remember, it had not rained in three years, so they don't have much water to begin with. So he insists that they take whatever water that they had left and drench the altar. And if you read the story, there's so much water on this altar that everything is soaked. The wood is soaked. The animal is soaked. It's drenched. And he says, now I did this, so you wouldn't think it's some kind of magic trick. Then he prayed and immediately God lit up the altar and all those people said, okay, we kind of think your God's a real God. Our God couldn't cut it, but your God did. So Elijah goes to Ahab, right? And he says, you need to run as fast as you can because it's about to rain again. And Ahab's thinking, okay, I think I might believe you now because you said it was going to stop and then it stopped and then you said your God was going to rain down fire and he did. So now you're telling me it's about to rain again and we've got three years that it's about to make up for it all in one moment. So I'm pretty sure that what you say is right. So he takes off. And then in the meantime, Elijah goes up to the hill and, and he says there's not a cloud in the sky and he says, hey, God, where's this cloud? And then all of a sudden, it's an interesting story. I want you to read it. It's awesome. And a cloud the size of a man's hand appears. And it begins to rain. You with me so far? So at this point, Elijah's like a rock star. 
Elijah is like a hero. He comes and he teaches about God and people learn about him and they realize that that he is God, that he is who he says he is. Meanwhile, Ahab goes back home and has a conversation with his wife, Jezebel. And if you know anything about Jezebel, she kind of has a negative connotation about her. So Ahab's married to her and she's very, very, very wicked. She's like wicked to the 10th power, like she's awful. So he goes back, and that's where the story today begins. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1, says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, Elijah, here's the deal. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. By this time tomorrow, your life is over. Now, from our perspective, looking at the story and reading everything that's happened from then until now, you're thinking, and man, I'm kind of going through the same thought process. What's he have to be worried about? God has just done all these amazing miracles. What does he have to worry about? He was just, he just said, don't rain, and it stopped raining. There was a drought in the land, and God provided for him when he when there wasn't anything for anybody else. A river just appears and he's able to drink. Food just happens to be there and he's able to eat. He's got this Mount Carmel showdown deal where. Where God sends fire from heaven and proves, like shows out. I'm telling you, miracle after miracle after miracle. And then without even seeing the rain cloud coming, he tells Ahab, you better hitch up your horse and get down the mountain because the rain's about to come. And then all of a sudden, rain comes. Elijah has just seen all this. So what's he got to worry about? Now... She's a powerful woman. She's probably the most powerful person in the kingdom, really. She's behind all of the choices that Ahab makes. She's got all the lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, she has it all, right? She's got the troops and the soldiers, and she's got all this stuff. And, but God has just done these amazing things. So what does Elijah have to worry about? What happens next? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Like, do you just remember what happened not too long ago? And he, he was afraid. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He was afraid, ran for his life. And here's what's going on. You see, Elijah was okay in the now, but Jezebel said, come tomorrow, your life is over. And Elijah says, oh, no, no, no. I'm afraid of not now. I'm okay right now. What I'm afraid of is tomorrow. And he ran for his life. Now, here's what I'd suspect from any, from any of us. Maybe not all of us, but perhaps many of us. If I were to drop into your life right now and look at God's goodness to you in the past, look and see everything that God's done good for you, all the miracles that you've seen happen, all the good that you've seen happen, and then see the things that you're worried about today, I may be tempted to say to you what we're tempted to say to Elijah. Why are you worried? If you know what God's done before, don't you know that God can do it again? We're so consumed about tomorrow and we forget that God's been good today. 
Do you not remember what he's already brought you through? What are you worried about? Well, because tomorrow this and tomorrow that and tomorrow this. So here's Elijah totally blanked out on God's past goodness to him because of this threat about tomorrow. But see, we can't dismiss the path we're on does lead us to tomorrow. But we can't worry about tomorrow when God's already been good to us today. Elijah feared. So he takes off. Now you've got Judah, who, who is in the southern kingdom, okay? He's left the country. This is like 100 miles away. In fact, the story could have basically said two weeks later because that's how far he's had to run. In 1 Kings 19, verse 4, the story goes on and says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, which is a small tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, granted, he's been running from three years from King Ahab, and he's been hiding. And his life maybe not has been perfect, maybe not been great, but God's been taking care of him, right? And then verse 5, then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head so there was some bread baked over hot coals. You mean it just appeared? And a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. We might not know where it came from. His servant that he had left might have caught up with him and made this lunch for him. Or hey, the angel that appeared to him might have just made the meal appear too. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. In other words, you're killing yourself. You're worried too much and it's taking a toll on you. You're so stressed out, you're not even eat, eating. And how many of you know that, and that when we stress, we do one of two things. We either don't eat or eat too much. Okay? Stress is not good for your overall health. And if God said, okay, if God said don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. If he's telling us to just take care of what we can do today, then why are we so stressed out over something we can't control? Stop worrying about tomorrow. 1 Kings 19 verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled until he got where? To Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is significant. Let me stay right here for just a moment because Horeb is what we would refer to as Mount Sinai, of Mount Sinai. The same mountain where Horeb is, 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 is where Moses all alone saw this bush burning. He went to check it out and it was God speaking to him. Horeb is when after the Israelites left Egypt is where Moses got the, the Ten Commandments. Horeb is where in the minds of Jewish people in the ancient culture is where God hung out. This is where God was. If you can't be around the Ark of the Covenant, go to Mount Horeb. So he spends a month, over a month traveling to this place, this lonely, uninhabited place to die, but to be as close to God as he could because none of this made sense. None of this was going anywhere. He was so worried about tomorrow, drenched in his worry. And when we do that, when we worry too much... When we consume ourselves with what we can't control, we end up somewhere asking how we got there. So 1 Kings 19 verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night. 
And the word of the Lord came to him. And this is the question that I want us to write down. I want us to put somewhere and let this be a reminder to us whenever we worry to ask ourselves the same thing that God is asking Elijah. What are you doing here? 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 You're miles and miles and miles away from where I had you. And you're miles and miles away from where, you know, I wanted you to be suddenly because you were worried about tomorrow. Because tomorrow seemed like a daze to you. And you decided to run away. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, I love this question because I have this gut feeling inside of me that for some of us who are so stressed out about the uncertainty of the situation you face or maybe even that place where you've reached mentally how did I get here how 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 did I get to that place what did I do to get to this mindset some of us have run mentally We're so detached from our world because we're so stressed out about tomorrow. Some of us have have actually just run. Run away from home. Run away from friends. Run away from a marriage. Run away from parents emotionally. And in your body, you kind of backed away from the kids because you're so stressed out over something that deals with them or something that has to do with something entirely different. And maybe you are there, but mentally, emotionally, you're not. You're tired. And when we get tired... What do we do? We worry. And what if God showed up in that place where you have no business being? Whether it's an actual place or an emotional location. And God says to you, wait a minute, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why'd you run? Why'd you allow, not knowing what was going to happen tomorrow, why'd you allow something you can't control that you've never been able to control? Why have you trusted in the threat of the economy why have you trusted in the threat of your money why have you trusted in the threat of your children husband wife why have you allowed the threats for tomorrow um dictate where you are today why have you allowed yourself to go to a place mentally where you shouldn't be what are you doing there what are you doing here and then here's what happens first kings chapter 19 verse 10 He replied, because Elijah always had something to say. And I could just imagine the tone in which he said this. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, God, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, God, what do you mean? What am I doing here? Do you expect me to stay in Jerusalem? You, you, do you expect me to stay near King Ahab? Do you expect me to stay in the northern kingdom? I might die. Look, I don't know if you're just not paying attention or if you just don't know what's going on. But, but and, and then the Lord said something. Because don't you know when we respond to God, He's got a response back to us. It's our job to listen. First Kings chapter 19, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord's about to pass by. He's in the cave. I want you to go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Because don't you know that when worry mounts up, the best place that you can be is in His presence. 
Don't you know when the situations around you are trying to dictate to you mentally where you should be? That you're so worried about tomorrow. You're so worried about going to work next week. You're so worried about getting out of the house. You're so worried about doing this. You're so worried about doing that. And we get to that place and and it's in those moments where we've got to get back into the presence of God. He said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Which means this, God was just playing games with him. God, God was showing him just how powerful he really is. <laughs> he said, he said, I want you, he was playing games with him, showing off. The Lord wasn't in the wind meant that God was going to pass by, but just hadn't done it yet. <laughs> After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in it. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he repeats the same thing that he said in verse 10. Maybe this time with a different tone. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And I think, don't know for sure, But based on what happens next, I think this is true. I think as Elijah is rehearsing his story to God, thinking about the rocks, the earthquake, the wind, the fire, perhaps even what happened at Mount Carmel. And he's beginning to realize that his story really doesn't have a lot of leverage because of God. Apart from God, it doesn't even make sense why he's there hiding. But in light of what he's just experienced, in light of... God's past goodness, I think he begins to ask himself the question, then what, what am I doing here? I, I, I forgot what God's already done. What am I doing here? And then he, God says something to him that's so profound. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. What? Yeah, go back. You've run away. Go back to where I had you to begin with. You've got to start all over. And then he says, when you get there, anoint, anoint Hazel king over a, 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 a Ram. Now, to us, that line is meaningless. But let me tell you why it's significant. Because Aram already had a king. And he says, I want you to go to a different country, one that you've not been to yet. I want you to find this guy. I want you to anoint him as king. Also, anoint Jehu king over Israel. Okay, time out, God. 
Israel already has a king too. You know the story, King Ahab, he's trying to kill me, and you want me to go to him now after I've already anointed another king of some place I've not been, and you want me to anoint another king and to replace the guy that's trying to kill me? Don't think it's going to go over well, God. And then anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Okay, now wait, you've got a prophet too, that's me, (laughs) right? Now you want to replace me too? (laughs) So wait, God. So like you've thought this through. Like you have a plan. So all that stuff I've been telling you about how bad things are, you kind of knew that? Like you had a solution? Like there's a tomorrow that you've already prepared for. Like there's this purpose that you're up to something. I didn't know that. And God's like, exactly. That's why you ran. That's why I'm asking you, what are you doing here? I haven't changed. I haven't left you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm still God. What are you doing here? And then he goes on, 1 Kings 19 verse 17. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Now wait a second. Time out, God. I thought I was the only one left. I was sitting here worried to death, crying tears at night, singing my songs to to, to, to go to sleep because I'm so consumed about tomorrow because I thought I was the only one left. And verse 18 tells me, yet God has reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you think you know what's going on. You think you're the only one left. You think you you know all there is to know. So you ran from me. You ran from where I had you. But you did didn't know that I had it the whole time. What in the world are you doing here? Why are you so worried? Here's my point. If you have allowed your worry to drive you into behaviors, into habits, into emotional chaos, to drive a wedge through your relationships, to cause you to do things you'd wish you'd never done, to even think the things you'd never thought before. I think this is a God question for you and me. What are you doing here? Why haven't you trusted me? God, help me. I feel his presence right now. And he's telling somebody who's been worrying far too much about what's going on in our world today. He's saying, why have you allowed your place to get there? Why have you allowed yourself to wallow in your self-pity? Why have you allowed yourself to, to be so consumed with something you can't control? That you thought you knew what was going on, but you didn't realize when you thought you were the only one. I had thousands of other people just ready to go to battle with you. My God, that's powerful. You see, if there is no God, hear me. Then I understand what you're doing there. But you, your whole life, believed there was a God. 
And many of you, for most of your lives, have believed that Jesus was a significant part of that. And many of us believe that he's the Savior of the world who God sent to die for our sin and pay for our sin. And many of us have enough history with God and have seen God's goodness over and over and over. Not always the way that we thought it should be, but in some amazing way. And many of us have seen bad things happen. And in the end, we're glad it happened because it led to good things. And we've told the stories. We've written the emails. We've shared the testimonies. We've cried, teared up, got baptized and bought the t-shirt we've done all those things and I and most of us have enough history with God that the truth is there's really no excuse for us to be where we are because we've allowed worry to dictate where we are today Let me tell you something, child of God. God's still in control. God still has a plan for your life. God still has a purpose for your life. You might not see it now, but I'm telling you, God's already prepared it tomorrow. So stop worrying about what's not come yet because you can't control that. All you can do is put your faith and trust in a God that can. Some of us need to take the advice that God gave to Elijah and you need to get back to where you started. And face tomorrow with confidence because God is there. Some of us have made things far worse than what they were. Not only has your worry not added an hour to your life, as Jesus said. But it has removed the knowledge of the good things because you feared what you couldn't control. You see, it's amazing to me how today's worries can somehow not only scare us about tomorrow... But it's like in our mind, it erases everything that God's ever done for us. The worries of today make us doubt whether God will be there in our tomorrow, and He will be. And that's why the point of this entire message is simply this right here. As my amazing mother taught me many a times, as Jesus taught, and as Elijah learned the hard way, We're simply to do what we know to do today and trust God with tomorrow. We're simply to do what we know to do today. And after we've done all we can do today, because this isn't about being careless. It's not about being irresponsible. It's not about going, well, oh well. It's not about any of that. It's about trusting God. And if you do all that you can do today and say, God, I have been faithful today. I'm trusting you to do it tomorrow. And when that whispering voice comes and all of a sudden your mind begins to trail down with more worry and you begin to make a decision that's going to take you off center of where you need to be, you need to say, no, no, no. God, I've done what I can do today. I'll see you in my tomorrow. I'm trusting you with my tomorrow. Tomorrow is uncertain. Tomorrow's always been that way, but I'm not going to allow my stress and my anxiety and my worry to drive me to places I have no business being. I will trust you today. That's option one. Option two is you can just worry. And what does that do? It doesn't add any value to your life. You can spend lots of time and energy on things you can't explain and can't control. And Jesus would say to you, you don't have to do that. There's a better way. There's a better way. I want to ask you, and I'm about to close. I hope you're still with me this morning. 
Because there's a message I want you to hear. Have you gone places you shouldn't go because of the stress and the chaos and the uncertainty of tomorrow? If so, go back to where you started. Go back to where you came from. Some of us need to sit down with our spouse, with our home and say, you know what? I haven't been here emotionally like I should. My temper's been short, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I've allowed my fear of tomorrow to cause me to become somebody I know I haven't been in my past. You might have been laid off. You might be between jobs. You may be searching out jobs. Your kids might be away from God and you're worried and you're worried and you're worried and your worry has caused you to be somebody that you're not. Go back the way you came and remember his goodness. When I lost my teaching job, I found myself in a dark place, questioning if God really had my steps ordered. And I wallowed in my tomorrow because I feared what was happening around me. And I consumed myself daily with how am I going to provide for my spouse? How am I going to provide for my kids? How am I going to be that role model that Aiden needed at the time? How, am I, how was I going to be a role model to my two other kids that I didn't know about yet? How was I going to, I, God, I don't know how I could do that tomorrow. He said, don't worry about that tomorrow. Just do what you can do today. Start again. Go back to where you came from. Go back to when things were good. Go back to when you were in my presence. Go back to when everything was, was, was pure of mind. Go back, to, go back to all those times where you prayed to me. Go back to all those times where you worshipped me. Go back to all those times where the center focus of your mind was me. Go back to that moment and do everything you can do about right now. Make right now the best right now that it can be. Make right now the best ever. And then let me worry about your tomorrow. I'm telling you, somebody, you got to hear this. Stop worrying about something you can't control. Stop worrying about something you have no control over. Give God your today. Remember the good He's done in your past. Remind yourself of His goodness. Take care of your right now and let God take care of your tomorrow. How much better and more prosperous would Elijah's last moments been? If he didn't think that he was the only one, if he knew that there were thousands ready to go to battle with him, how much better would he have been had he not run? But he was worried. God help me. Maybe you've severed a relationship. Maybe it's just an emotional severance and you've you've just cut yourself off from all reality God's saying come back go back go back to where it was good go back and then start again wherever it is that worry and stress has driven you that you know you have no place being God's invitation to you right now his invitation to us every day I want you to go back because you have no business being here you do what you can do today trust me with tomorrow 
And if God, would you listen? If God is as concerned about you as you are, then there's no reason to worry. Why worry? My prayer for you this morning and for us is that during this time of trial nationally, during this season, that we as Christians, as His church, would respond in a way that is so different than the people around us. That our light would shine so bright, not because our circumstances might be better, but because we refuse, we refuse to allow the stress of our circumstances to drive us to a place we have no business being. Because we're simply going to do all we can do today and trust God for our tomorrow. And when we do that, there's no reason to worry.